Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 179 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about the importance that Jesus has for the individuals. Let's dive in. Recently, I've been pondering this concept that Jesus is interested in individuals. I mean, yes, he's interested in groups, but it seems like he goes out of his way to focus his attention on individuals. Now, one of the things I love about scripture is that it gives us a variety of perspectives. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you begin to notice that they are kind of looking at the same story or the same thing that's happening in the life of Jesus from some different perspectives. Now, before I even jump into the passage I want to look at with you, I want to give a clarity because I have this question all the time from my Bible study students asking the question, well, this looks like a discrepancy. Well, we know that all the Bible is truth and there's nothing that contradicts itself. But it is interesting as you read certain passages, if you see that which appears to be a contradiction, it's probably a good thing to study out further. Because what I found is the seemingly contradictory statements really are not contradictory at all. In fact, they give a beautiful enunciation of the truth. And one of the ways you can see that is in the way that the different writers write. Now, we know that all the writers of the Bible were being carried along by the Holy Spirit to write that which they wrote. And it's interesting that, again, sometimes you get perspectives. Uh, In other words, if you and I were looking at a same incident or a scenario, but from two different sides of the street, we would probably emphasize something different. That doesn't mean that it was wrong or that it was inaccurate. It's just we have a perspective. And you got to remember that the Holy Spirit is using the story and the mind and the perspective, the lens through which the disciples saw these events. Or, for example, like in Mark's case, it's really Peter's gospel that he's writing down. So you're gaining these different perspectives. So that's something to hold in your hand. The other thing just to notate is that the way that the ancient writers wrote biography is very different than how we would write biography. In other words, in the ancient days, when they would write biography, yes, they would probably start with a birth and end with a death. But 
a lot of times what they're doing is emphasizing certain themes of the person's life. And as such, they felt no obligation to go in chronological order, and they felt they can move stories around so they can make a point. Now, again, that may be offensive to us in the 21st century, where we're all about the details and the information, and it better be accurate and go in order. But the writers of the New Testament were not writing to 21st century believers. They were writing to 1st century believers. So something that we would probably, you know, be aghast over, this is just a normal practice in that day. So again, we got to remember to look at the context by which the person is writing to their audience. For example, in Matthew chapters 8, 9, and 10, you have a whole series of these grand stories of Jesus coming down from the mountain as he finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts doing miracle after miracle and sign after wondrous sign. Now, did those actually happen? Yes, they are historical. They are literal. They did happen. But you could ask, did they actually happen in that order immediately when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount? I don't know. (laughs) And that's what kind of drives us in the 21st century a little crazy. But the reality is, is what Matthew is doing is proving a point. Jesus just preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So what Matthew does then is he shows that Jesus merely didn't talk or preach the Sermon on the Mount. He lived it. And so in Matthew's account, Jesus comes off the mountain after preaching, and he begins to live out the Sermon on the Mount, which actually creates a powerful enunciation to the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus is actually living the very thing that he is preaching. So again, don't get hung up by the fact that if you're trying to bring a synopsis or a harmony between all the Gospels, sometimes that's difficult. Because again, a lot of the writers weren't writing from this happened, then this happened, then this happened, as much as they're trying to communicate a message. Now, did all the things in the scriptures happen? Yes. But let us look at the context. Now, one of those things, again, I said all that because the passage I'm about to to focus on is one of those potential trip up points. In Matthew's account, there's several different stories that Mark also records, but when you hear it in Mark's account, it slightly is tweaked. Now, don't get hung up over this. Don't don't fret. Don't don't throw out your Bibles. This it's totally fine. <laughs> and I'm trying to just I'm trying to help you walk through this. But I've got a whole emphasis I'm trying to get to, but I don't want all of you to be yelling at me later about the Bible is contradicting itself and oh no, I can't trust the Bible. You can trust the Bible and the Bible is not contradicting itself. But let me just show you a couple of these stories. And there's a reason why Mark is doing what he is doing. Now, if you ask me, I actually think Matthew is probably more accurate. But let me just give you a couple of these examples. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, James and John go talk to Jesus and get their mother involved. And they're trying to gain position of sitting at the right and the left hand of Jesus. And the moment that gets done, it says that they were coming in verse 29 of chapter 20 of Matthew, that they were coming out from Jericho and a great multitude was following Jesus. And behold, two blind men were sitting by the road when they heard that Jesus was passing by. And they cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Now, in Mark's account, the very same thing happens. James and John goes to Jesus and asks to to sit at the right hand and the left hand. And then in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it says, now they came to Jericho. And as they left Jericho, so, 
So we know it's the exact same story. Everything's going on. It makes sense. But look at what Mark does. He says that as Jesus and his disciples and a great multitude was leaving Jericho, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Now, if you were just to look at those two stories, suddenly you have a little quandary. (laughs) Why is it that Matthew records that there were two men sitting outside of Jericho crying out to Jesus, and yet Mark only records that there was one man named Bartimaeus? Now, again, if you if you were to really press me, I'd say, well, Matthew is probably more accurate. Matthew's just walking through the details saying, hey, there's these two guys. They were yelling at Jesus and we told them to be quiet. And Jesus commanded that they would come near and Jesus healed them. But one of the things I love about Mark's account is that all through the gospel of Mark, Mark is constantly drawing your attention to the fact that Jesus is interested in the individual. In fact, this happened several times. Chapters earlier, when Jesus goes across the Sea of Galilee and he comes to this place where here's this man full of a legion of demons. And of course, he's been hiding in the caves and crying out all night long. Well, in Matthew's account, it says that there were two men up in the hills who are full of all these demons. So again, if you ask me, I would say, yeah, there were there were two men up in those mountains. Why? Because it makes sense that Matthew's given you all the details of that account. But we have to remember that in Mark's gospel, Mark is constantly drawing your attention to the fact that Jesus, yes, he's concerned about groups, but he's really focused at the individual. And it's like he ignores everything else around him. He ignores the multitudes. He draws and gives exclusive focused attention to one person. And I love in Mark 10, Of course, the man starts crying out for Jesus and all the crowd starts trying to silence the man. Could you imagine what that must have been like? But yet he knew that his only hope was found in that man, Jesus. So what did blind Bartimaeus do? He cried out all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And I love this. Jesus in verse 49 stood still and commanded that Bartimaeus be called to him. And when he came to Jesus, Jesus asks a very penetrating question. He asks, what do you want me to do for you? And of course, Bartimaeus says, I want my sight. And Jesus says, all right, you've got it. And blind Bartimaeus could see. Now, I'm not trying to cause you problems (laughs) spiritually with trusting the word of God. I firmly believe the word of God. I trust, I build my life upon this thing. I will fight to the death for it. And I'm really getting frustrated frustrated by a lot of what's happening in modern Christendom where people are just kind of rewriting scripture to make it appease whatever it is that they're trying to push. And that is driving me up a wall. Don't mess with scripture. But we have to remember that the Holy Spirit is putting the word of God together. And as such, The fact that Matthew and Mark have the exact same account, however, Mark focuses on the individual, shouldn't trip us up. Again, it's a different kind of writing style in his day. This was very normal. His audience would have been, oh yeah, that makes sense to me. All that to say this, do you realize that Jesus, yes, he's interested in the big crowds, but he's more interested in the individual within the crowd. And that encourages me because I'm an individual. You are an individual. 
He's not just giving a mass group message. He's giving a personal message. I remember in college, I would go to a couple of my classes and they were in those massive classes that had, you know, well over a hundred people in them. And those classes always drove me crazy because I was just another face. I was just a number in the midst of this big crowd. That's very different than some of the college classes I took where there was like 10 people in the room. And so you couldn't hide. You couldn't like not come prepared. You had to be always ready. And it was much more intimate. It was much more relational. And it's a great reminder that Jesus doesn't just have our face. He doesn't just, he doesn't have us by a number. He intimately wants to know us. He's intimately wanting to do something in and through our life. That he's not just interested in the big things of your life. He's interested in the very small minutia of your life. He wants to be a part of our life in the everyday moments of our living. It's the moment by moment by moment kind of things that that he's wanting to be involved in. In fact, he knows the numbers of hair on your head or lack thereof. <laughs> that as Revelation chapter 2 verse 17 says, he says, and I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. That see, we are an individual to Jesus. In fact, we have a special name with him. Can I encourage you maybe over this next season to go through and reread the book of Mark? And as you do so, look at how Mark constantly is drawing your attention to the fact that Jesus is interested in the individual. You are important to him. You're not just another face in the crowd. You are significant, intimately, personally, relationally to Jesus Christ. Well, as we enter into this new season, let us remind ourselves, let the Spirit of God press deep within us a reminder that we are not merely living our lives for Christ, but that He wants to engage and be a part of every moment of our every single day. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 179 for episode 179. And until next time, know I am praying for you and cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.